these guys sing of something that is true. Hope is what we crave. Um, you and I are created beings. At least that's what we believe as, as followers of Jesus, that we are not accidental, that, that something didn't just occur, but that there was a creator and that we are created. And here's an underlying premise for today that I'm going to share along the way. Part of that created being nature is that you and I were made to actually be creatures of hope. Hopefulness, being full of hope, was to be your natural condition, your natural state. Now, before we get going, I just want to ask, did you, if you did not get, did everybody get that little test when you came in from the ushers? Okay, if you didn't get a test, um, would you raise your hand? And I'm going to ask, okay, if you didn't get it, okay, you're on staff, so, you're <laughs> so I'm going to ask if I could get somebody in the back there. Reed is going to come around. Keep your hand up. Reed is going to get for you tests. So everybody, don't be ashamed. Put your hand up if you didn't get a test. We're going to get you a test because we're going to take them in a little while. And Reed, are you looking at these hands? Reed Klozeski? Yes. yes. Keep your hands up. He'll be there. I have been doing a ton of work on hope. I've been reading a lot of science books about hope. I'm wondering what my Kindle, uh, you know, the people at Amazon are thinking, like I must be desperate because I'm buying all these scientific books on hope. Because here's my goal. My goal is, I see at Christmas time, a lot of pastors will come up and they'll say, oh, you just need to have hope. But, you know, I mean, let's be honest, we live in the real world. And sometimes just platitudes aren't enough. Like, I, I wanted to give you something more substantial to hold on than just that. So I've been working on this a lot, and I want to show you, share with you a few things that I've discovered along the way. One is, is pretty fascinating. Scientists, as they were looking at um, our brain structure, right, with, with all of the new imaging they can do, there's a lot of, uh, brain study is probably the preeminent thing that's going on right now in the scientific world. They took a group of patients and they put them into MRIs, and they were trying in this test to, to study what was happening in their brains when they introduced the patients to various um, patterns of thought. They would say, uh, create a scenario. They would uh, ask them to imagine something. And the goal was to see what happened in their brain, what areas were stimulated, and how that, uh, in, in, those introduced thoughts impacted uh, brain patterns, impacted what went on emotionally and physically in the patients. It was a pretty interesting study, but something happened along the way. Now, see, because it was a scientific study, if you do a scientific study, you always have, you have the, the people you're doing the study on, but then you have the control group, the, you know, the placebo, in a sense, uh, effect. And so there was a control group of patients that they stuck in the tubes to, and they studied what the control group thought of. And here's what they said to the control group. They said, we don't want you to think about anything. We just want you to keep your mind as clear as possible, um, because we need you as the control group so we can compare this other group to what's going on in their brains. And as they started to, to look at the results, they became astounded with something. The patients that were given nothing to think about, the control group, when they were sitting in the tube, they all thought about the same thing. Almost without exception, when they were told to think about nothing specific, their patterns, their brain patterns, all torn towards their future. They all started thinking about 
where they were going and what was coming next. They didn't go back. They can see what lights up in your brain. You don't go back when, 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 when your brain is clear. You don't go back and rehash past victories or losses. You don't go back and, and relook at past loves and likes. When left by ourselves in that tube, told to do nothing, our thoughts turn towards our future. What's going to happen next? Because you are a created being and you were created to be hopeful about what was coming. It led one researcher upon studying this for a while to say this, hope is a life-sustaining force that is rooted in our future. Hope is a, this is science, secular science, hope is a life-sustaining force that is rooted in our future. And as I read the story, story, I thought about its conclusion. I was drawn back to the early days when Joan and I, Chris, would you hand me that, when Joan and I first got married? Um, we were living in a, a local garden apartment complex, and we didn't have very much money, and, uh, and Joan was pregnant with our first child, and it was a Christian bookstore in the apartment complex. And every day, uh, I would come home, because I saw this picture in the window, and I, I was saving up my money, because I wanted to buy this picture for, for Joan. And I think this was probably our, our second Christmas together. This was the gift I bought her. Um, it's this picture of a mother and a child, and uh, the mother is holding the child up, and they're they're looking out. And the verse underneath it, as a, as, a, as a father, struck me because this was what I thought about for my children. It's from Jeremiah. It says, For I know the plans I have for you to give you a future and a hope. Those words, if you know the story, those words were written by the prophet Jeremiah in the Old Testament to a people who had been taken captive, who had been removed from their country, had taken, been taken into Babylon. Those words about a future and a hope were written to a defeated people, a people close to giving up, who, people who thought it was over, that Israel would no longer be a nation. It sure looked like it was over. And God sends this message to Israel. He sends them a message about their future and about hope. And it makes so much intrinsic sense to me in a lot of ways, especially if, if you have kids. Because I believe you were created to have hope. If I walked around in a room right now, the kids are upstairs, okay, but if I walked around in the room and the kids were still in here, and I asked the kids, I'd say, kids, it's Christmas time, what are you hoping for this year? The answers would come fast and furious. You wouldn't see a lot of deliverance likely. You would just hear an iPhone, a video game, a hoverboard, hopefully a hoverboard that doesn't catch on fire, um, this, is, uh, this, is, this was the way we were created. This was our natural state. When you were a child, you had all these hopes and these dreams and these plans. It, it was the way you were created. You had this too. Here in January of this year, I spoke on this same topic, and I was reminded about it again this week. I want to show you what I mean. When you were in middle school, this is going to be the interactive portion of this morning sermon. When you were in middle school, what were you hoping for next? What were you planning for? High school. When you were in high school, you had some hopes and dreams. And for most of us, when we were in high school, our hopes and dreams centered around what? When you were in college, you had some hopes and dreams, some plans, some future, and it involved what? Throw something out. A job. That's what I tell my kids, right? Not a boy. Not a girl, but a job. Now, after you got that good first job, right, because that was what you hoped and dreamt for, you got that good first job, you then had some hopes and dreams too. What was your next hope and dream? 
a wife, a husband usually, right? And so you have this relationship, and now you have a new relationship. Well, the, your hopes and dreams starts to, start to turn, right? And what's the next thing you hoped and dreamt for? Kids, a house. You get it, right? This was the natural state. This is what you were used to. Now, fast forward to where many of you are today. You're married, you have kids, you have the house and the job and a car. What is your next hope? Retirement. <laughs> Thus is the problem with all of mankind. You were created to be a creature of hope. You grew up as a creature of hope. But something happens to us somewhere in our 30s where we start going, the only thing I'm looking forward to is this thing 30 or 40 years away. And when I ask you what you're going to do in your retirement, you're going to tell me? Hunt. <laughs> I should have asked the wrong guy. He said hunt. <laughs> but if I asked most of you, you know what you would tell me? What are you looking forward to doing in your retirement? Nothing. Nothing. There's a problem here. This is what the science says. The science says when you lose hope, when you give up on hope, it impacts how you live. And that's the drama we just saw. When you give up hope, it impacts the way you live. The Bible says this, the hope of the righteous brings joy, but the expectation of the wicked will perish. Now, over these last 20 years, this concept of hope has been gaining traction in research communities as a foundational, listen to me, this is, this is incredible stuff. Hope, the Bible's been talking about hope for 2,000 years, more than that. Hope is now gaining traction as a foundational principle of our existence. What they're discovering is that hope is fundamental to our success in life and to our happiness. People of hope... There's all kinds of studies on this. People of hope are sick less, live longer, have better marriages, are more productive at work. Bosses, if you want to have better employees, figure out a way, and I'm going to show you, figure out a way to make these people hopeful. Their, their job performance goes up by an average of one day in a seven-day week. They went and looked at kids and, uh, in college and in high school, and they looked at how they did in school, and they checked on what they, whether they were hopeful or not. IQ had no impact on this study. IQ, let me repeat. IQ of kids had no impact on this study. Hopeful kids were good for one letter grade above kids that weren't hopeful. One researcher, he actually gave up his work on intelligence and he began to give his life to the study of hope. He said this, quote, I decided intelligence is overrated. Sure, it's much discussed and celebrated. It's somewhat important at school and in the workplace. But a high IQ is not essential to a good life. However, hope is like oxygen. As I saw then and I continue to see every day, we can't live without it. IQ has nothing to do with success in relationships or happiness. Plus, you can shape hope, but not IQ. So this Christmas, this season of hope, how hopeful are you? Would your spouse or your kids say, oh, my, you know, my dad, ooh, he's a hopeful guy. I want to do something, and I'm going to do it, something highly unusual this morning. I'm going to, in the middle of a sermon, give you a little test. So uh, if you could pull that test out, that would be great. And I'm going to need a copy of one. So, Betsy, give me that one that's sitting next to you. And... Okay. And Angie is going to be out of test. Everybody's got this little test, right? 
This is, uh, this is the most widely respected, the most widely used test for hope. It's called the Snyder Adult Trait Hope Scale. There's actually 12 questions. Uh, I took the four control questions out to shorten it for our purposes this morning. And here's the scale, okay? Um, one is definitely false. Two is moderately false. Three is somewhat false. Four is slightly false. Five is slightly true. All the way up to eight is definitely true. You're going to put your scores down. You ready? I'm going to read you the questions. You're going to put your score down. This is simple so far, right? All right, number one. I can think of many ways to get out of a jam. One could not be more false. Eight could not be more true. Put a, put a number down in there. I, can't th- I, can th- I can think of many ways to get out of a jam. Number two. I energetically pursue my goals. I'm not going to ask you to read your score, okay, so just be honest with yourself here. What's the matter, John? (laughs) He wants to share his. I energetically pursue my goals. Number three, there are lots of ways around any problem. There are lots of ways around any problem. Number four, I can think of many ways to get the things in life that are most important to me. I can think of many ways to get the things in life that are most important to me. Number five, even when others get discouraged, I know I can find a way to solve the problem. Number six, my past experiences have prepared me well for my future. My past experiences have prepared me well for my future. Number seven, I've been pretty successful in life I've been pretty successful in life. And number eight, I meet the goals that I set for myself. I meet the goals that I set for myself. All right. If you did the test, add up your scores. This is the math portion of the uh, test. Hopefully it's not too difficult. There's only eight numbers there. And I'm going to give you the average test score on that test. It's actually measuring two different things. I don't have time to go into that this morning. That's for another day. You can look this up. It's fascinating stuff. The average hope score for everyone that has taken this test is a 48. It's a 48. I don't know what that means for you. But uh, maybe you're a hopeful person. Maybe you, you, you rate out more hopeful than others. I would think this group in this community... People that are following God uh, in our demographic, you probably would rate out higher than that. So here's the question. What is hope? And what does it have to do with Christmas? See, here's what hope is. Hope is not wishful thinking. Oh, I wish I had a BMW. I'm hopeful for that. It's not blind optimism. It's not wishful thinking. See, according to statistics, 90% of the world is optimistic. You ever see the commercial that's on TV where the guy has them put up things in the past that have happened, blue and yellow, and things that are going to happen in the future, and the things in the past are a mix of bad and good, but the things in the future are all good. We have a bias, a natural bias towards optimism, but hope is something much more powerful and much more tangible than just optimism. It turns out that it's not just a feel-good emotion, but a dynamic, cognitive, motivational force. Here's the science behind hope. The person who has hope has the will and determination that goals will be achieved, and they set out different strategies at their disposals to reach their goals, 
Put simply, hope involves the will to get there and different ways to get there. That's hope. So hope involves goals, beliefs that they can be achieved, which impacts your determination and your plans for achievement when obstacles get in your way. And so what does the Lord say to his people, a people losing hope, a people facing obstacles which appear insurmountable, to a people who have been taken captive, to a people who have lost their country, to a people who have suffered loss and pain and defeat? What does he say? Jeremiah said, For I know the plans that I have for you, the goals that I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. It's the definition. This Christmas, this is the Lord's, this is still the Lord's call to his people. To a people in this room who have faced loss and pain and maybe some defeat. To you this Christmas, this season of hope, the Lord speaks these words over you. You know, he has a plan for you. He has goals for you. They're to prosper you. They're to give you... To, to give you a hope and a future. Now, again, hope isn't some fairy tale. It's not some foolish positive thoughts or, or, or positive energy. It's not a new way to think. Hope is real. It can be measured. It can be increased. It can be seen. I'm going to show you hope in Christmas because this Christmas, it is not too late. This is a season of hope. It's not too late for you to return to what you were created to be. You're created to be creatures of hope. Now understand, hope has to do, hope has to do with setting out goals, strategies, and determining ways to achieve those things. And when the scientists look at hopeful people, when they look at the people that score way above the 48s, they came across four characteristics. Number one, the number one key to being hopeful. First is this: you have to believe that the future will be better than the present. Hopeful people believe that the future will be better than the present. This is our call as believers. Because we believe that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. We believe that God has not abandoned us or forsaken us. We believe that God does not just love us, but that he himself is love. We believe that God is a God of justice and that he will one day right all wrongs. We believe that God will one day wipe away the tear from every eye and that that day is coming soon and we will forever and ever live in eternity with beautiful new bodies in the presence of God. This is our hope. We have to be hopeful people for this life and for the coming life. This is what the, uh, the proverb writer said. He said, surely, surely, not potentially, not I'm hoping for, I'm dreaming of, I'm wishing. Surely, and notice the concepts again, the tied concepts, there is a future. And your hope will not be cut off. Hope involves believing that the future will be better than the present. And thus, at the co core of hope is this concept of dreams or goals. Somewhere I'm going. I, I, I had lunch on Friday with a very good friend of mine. We worked together for years and uh, we separated, and um, you know, he, he went off, and he had a wildly successful business career. He was a CEO of a Wall Street trading company. Um, 
He, uh, the company changed hands a bunch of times, and he bought himself a nice house, and he, uh, he has a, a beautiful wife and two grown children now, and um, he has a really nice Mercedes. And, uh, and so, you know, our, our lives went in some different directions there, right? And uh, he called me a couple of months ago, and he said, I need your help. And I said, yeah, what's up? And this is not a guy that would call and say, I need your help. I said, what's up? He said, my life sucks. He said, I hate it. I said, what do you mean you hate it? Aren't you like, don't you have this great job? He goes, no, I, I lost my job, and I had to get this other job, and it's the only job I can get, and I hate it. I get up every day. And so we went out to lunch this week, and I said, well, tell me about your day. He said, I get up at 5 o'clock every morning. I'm on the whatever train. I get into the office. I sit there all day. I hate every minute of being there. I get home at between 7 and 8 o'clock at night. I pour myself a vodka gimlet. I didn't even know what a gimlet was. By the way, Dan Reardon drinks that vodka like water, doesn't he? <laughs> <laughs> he said he makes a vodka gimlet, and then he looked at me, he said, I'm probably drinking too much. He said, I go to bed at 10. And I said, well, you know, what do you like to do? He said, I don't like to do anything. I said, well, what do you do on the weekends? He said, well, it's a true story. He said, I go for a run, I run for about five miles, and then I come home, and uh, I put on the TV, and... I try to make it go really slow. I, I want the weekend to go slow because I don't want to go back to work. And I said, well, what are you going to do? He said, this is what I'm going to do. He had no hope. Had everything that we thought we wanted. But his kids grew up. He had all the stuff. And I walked out and I was like, I, I just sensed such, a, there was no hope in my friend. Reminded me of Job, when Job lost everything in the scriptures. This is what he said. He goes, I don't have the strength to endure. I do not have a goal that encourages me to carry on. Do you have a goal that encourages you to carry on? What is God calling you to this Christmas? Paul said, I don't run without a goal. I fight like a boxer who's hitting something, not just the air. Again, the Apostle Paul, St. Paul, maybe from your faith tradition, who wrote most of the New Testament, he said, he goes, there is one thing I'm sure of, I press on towards the goal. What's your goal? Now, let me, can I just be honest? Like, is your marriage stink? Yeah, I, I do a lot of counseling with folks, right? I mean, I know marriages are hard. And I know a lot of our marriages kind of evolve into things that are difficult. Um, it's not easy. My number one counseling line when I do premarital counseling, and I just gave it to, to a young couple the other day. I said, I, I need to start by telling you this. Forever is a really, 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 really long time. But have you given up? Is it a, is, 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 do you believe that there's a, the, the goal exists, that, it, that you could, it could get better? It could get fixed. I mean, what about your relationships with your brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers and kids? Have you given up? Do you have it as a goal? I, I would like this to get fixed. Lord, I would, I would like to, to fix this. Has addiction taken hold in your life? I know I drink too much. I know I got to stop. But 
I, I don't know how. See, people, there's a difference between hope and optimism. Optimism is, I hope I stop drinking. Hope is, I have a plan. I, 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 I have a goal. This is how I'm going to move forward in this. But your, your, is your career just stopped? Is that it? You're just going to make money for 20 years and, and then so you can do nothing? Has your life started to feel just meaningless? Now, you might say, John, listen, this is all, this is great, good stuff, man, but the marriage has been bad for a long time. John, you don't understand, my brother's a jerk. Not only do we have words, we exchange blows. I mean, uh, that's not going to get fixed. John, I've tried to stop. I've tried to quit. I'm hoping one day to, but I have to be honest. John, I've been asking God to do something meaningful in my life, but I haven't heard from him. I pray about it, and nothing comes back. Have you lost hope? Last week, we looked at two characters who didn't make the manger scene on your mantle at home, Zacharias and Elizabeth. And this week, I want to introduce you to another one that didn't make the mantle scene. Sometimes I wonder if what's going on behind the manger is better than what's in it. Well, it's obviously not better than what's in the manger, because that would be Jesus. But they were missing so much of the story. This morning, I want to introduce you to Simeon. Here's his story. It starts in Luke chapter 2. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, and he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he wasn't going to see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. People of hope, remember number one, people of hope believe the future will be better than the present. What was Simeon hoping for? The consolation of Israel. He was hoping for, he was waiting for the one who was going to console the people of Israel, who was going to redeem his family, his friends, the savior of his nation. Remember, Simeon and Israel are living under the brutal reign of the Romans. They've trampled their temple. They've broken their traditions. They've stolen their treasures. The Holy of Holies has been ransacked. And nobody has heard a word from God in 400 years. But Simeon, despite what it looked like, despite how many people had already walked away from the faith, despite what others believed or thought, Simeon believed there was a consoler coming. Tomorrow will be better than today. My future is better than my present. I believe it because God told me so. God told me so. I can speak this over you, and I'm completely confident of it. Your tomorrow, I don't care how good your day is today, your tomorrow will be better. Because one day you will spend eternity with the king. Your tomorrow will be better than your today. That's a huge hope. Second thing, people that are hopeful people have. The second thing they believe is this. Number two, in the secular world, what they would say is, and here's the feedback that came back, I have the power to make it so. But as believers, I don't even think that's true. I think the truth is this, God has the power to make it so. I'm not asking you to believe this morning that you can make it all happen. I know you can't. I know you can't make people change their minds or their attitudes or their heart. I'm not asking you to believe that you have the ability and the perseverance and the skills and the opportunities to get exactly where it is that God might be calling to you. That would be like me giving you a Tony Robbins thing up here this morning. Here's what I'm telling you, though. God has the power to make it happen. 
God has never given anyone a dream. God has never set out before anyone a desire. God has never called anyone to a place or a destiny or a future or a hope that he has not provided them the power to achieve it with. God has the power to change your future. There are no more powerful verse, is no more powerful verse in the Bible than this. All things are possible for those who believe. All things are possible for those who believe. Not a few things, not some things, all things. Remember last week I, I introduced you to Zachariah and Elizabeth? And this, this angel, Gabriel, comes to Elizabeth, and, and, or excuse me, comes to Zachariah and says, you know what, God has heard your prayer, and, and your wife is going to be pregnant. And Zachariah goes, you know, my wife is well along in years, if you know what I mean. Well, this same angel, Gabriel, comes to Mary in our Christmas story and says to Mary, because Mary's going to need some convincing too, says to Mary this in Luke 1.36, he says, Mary, behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived like you, and it's the sixth month with her who was called, it's sixth month, she who was called barren, for, read this together with me, nothing will be impossible with God. Mary began to believe, I think at this moment, that God has the power to do it. The Christmas story is replete if you celebrate this. Please believe what you're saying you believe. You believe that a virgin gave birth. You believe that shepherds encountered an angel. You believe that wise men followed stars. We are people of hope, and people of hope believe that although it might, need seem, might not seem possible or plausible, although it doesn't seem within my power to do anything, people of hope believe that God can still do it. It's not too late. Here's what, what Paul said when he wrote a letter to the church in Rome. In, in Rome, Romans 15, 13, he said, May the God of hope, the God of hope, whose image were you created in? God's. This is why you are to be creatures of hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Where is our hope found? It's not found in ourselves or our slickness or our ability. Psalm 39, 7. But now, Lord, the psalmist wrote, what do I look for? My hope is in you. Third characteristic of people that have a lot of hope is this. They've come to understand that there are many paths to their goals. Back to our Christmas story. This is uh, in Matthew, first chapter. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with a child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, many of you know, right, like uh, Mary, if this had kind of gotten out, the punishment for where she was, for being an unwed mother, for being pregnant, was that she would be stoned. And Joseph would have had every right to do that. I mean, this was an embarrassing thing for Joseph, obviously. But he decided, he, he resolved to divorce her quietly. And that was the plan for this godly man. That was the way he was going to live the godly life. He had plans, but they'd been diverted. 
Now, Joseph could have been thinking, this kid is going to be quite the inconvenience. Joseph could have been thinking, I'm not ready to be a father. You see, I had plans. I had goals. I was, I was going to marry. I thought I was marrying Mary the nice girl. It turns out maybe I'm not. I thought I was getting, you know, the Proverbs woman. I thought I was getting the godly woman. What are people going to think? What are they going to say about me? The scripture goes on. But as he considered these things. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for what's conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She'll bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he is going to save his people from their sins. And when Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not, until she gave birth to a son and called his name Jesus. If you will allow yourself to dream again, to begin to, to set some, some new thoughts out on the horizon. I hope you will. I hope you'll resolve to, if, if anything, out of this series. Know this, as you do. There is not only one way to get where you want to go. Many of you know, I did not set out to be a pastor. I felt like God called me to be a pastor when, when, I, when I was 20 years old, and I filled out applications to be a pastor at Dallas Theological Seminary, right? I listened to a lot of John MacArthur. I was going to go to Dallas Theological Seminary and filled out all the paperwork, and it was just too weird to me to be a pastor. Like, I, you know, I, I didn't know any pastors that were kind of cool people, and you're probably looking at me going, exactly right. That's exactly, <laughs> that's exactly right. And uh, I thought... <laughs> Thought to myself, like, you know, I don't want to be, my father's going to think I'm a failure. And so I, uh, you know, I, I thought my window passed me by. Now I'm the pastor of the greatest church in town. Right? I mean, I didn't, but I didn't do this. I didn't seek this. There are more paths to where your God is calling you to than you could probably understand. There's not only one way. You might not believe it, but, but just because things don't seem clear, just because they haven't gone the way you thought they were going to or, or maybe you wanted them to, don't be thinking that your ship has passed, that you missed the opportunity. Don't allow yourself to think that there was only one way and it's already too late in your relationships, in your homes, with your kids, with your job. There's an old song we used to sing years ago. I, we probably should sing it more because I think we don't believe it anymore. It's, it was called God Will Make a Way. You remember that song? It said, God will make a way when there seems to be no way. He works in ways we cannot see. He will make a way for me. He'll be my guide. He'll hold me close to his side. With love and strength for each new day, he will make a way. He will make a way. Don't get it. There's other ways to get where God is calling. Just because there's obstacles in the way. This is what Proverbs says. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. Don't listen to what all your friends are telling you. In all your ways, you acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. And lastly, people of hope realize one very important thing. Number four, because there are many paths to my goals, you also need to understand this. None of them. How many of them? None of them is free of obstacles. Can I get an amen on that? <laughs> Hopeful people understand that paths to goals, especially godly goals, if you have a goal that you believe God is calling to you, please understand this. I guarantee you it is going to be strewn with obstacles, problems, and pain. 
Some of them might even seem insurmountable. I mean, again, the manger on your mantle, it's beautiful, but bearing and rearing the Savior of the world was not without obstacles. You remember there was no room in the inn, right? And we tend to think, well, you know, look, they overcame that and they had it in a barn. But, but there was a lot of other things going on. You might, if you remember the story, you remember right after the wise men left? You know, the wise men made, the, made your manger. But maybe this scene didn't, because right after they left, an angel came to Joseph and said, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and stay there until I tell you, because Herod is going to search for the child and destroy him. And, and Joseph was to remain there until the death of Herod. And then you know when Herod figured out that the wise men had tricked him, that he ordered all of the male children in Israel who were under two to be killed. There's bigger obstacles than no room in the inn. And then this, this scripture goes on. Uh, but when Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph and said, Take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. But then it says that when Joseph heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in the place of his father, Herod, he was afraid to go there. And then being warned in another dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. You see, there were more obstacles in the way of Jesus showing up uh, at the river with John than you can imagine. People of God, nobody ever said this was going to be easy. Even when you're doing exactly what you should be doing. Even when you're right smack in the center of God's will, nobody ever said it was going to be easy. It might be blessed, but it doesn't mean it's going to be boring. And I guarantee it's not going to be simple. Here's what the Bible says about hope when things don't seem to be going the way they should. Especially when you're like, man, I'm doing exactly what I feel like God has called me to. Romans 8, 24 to 25. In this hope... We were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Simeon, Zechariah, Elizabeth. Hebrews 11.1, 1, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things which aren't seen. And lastly, how about this, Romans 5.4, endurance produces character, waiting produces character, hoping produces character, and character then produces hope. The story of Christmas is the story of character, the character of Mary and Joseph, the character of Zachariah and Elizabeth and Simeon. It's the story of endurance, of people waiting hundreds of years, a young couple fleeing uh, with their child all over the Middle East. It's the story of hope. As the band comes up, I want to conclude with this. The verse I just read you from Romans, it's actually pretty interesting. It's, it starts, it ends talking about hope. About hope being for things unseen and being patient. But in the same chapter, actually, the verse right before it, the Bible speaks about why a God has given you, why God has created you, why God has, has instilled in us hope. Remember, he says, he still speaks over you. He has a plan for you, for your hope, for your future. Check this out, Romans 18 verses, uh, excuse me, uh, Romans um, 8 verses 18 and 22 to 23. This is what Paul said to a people who were losing hope. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's going to be revealed to us. What did you just he hear there? Hopeful people, number one, hopeful people believe the future will be better than the present. 
I consider the sufferings of this present time aren't worth comparing with the glory that's going to be revealed to us. For we know the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only creation but ourselves, we who are the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we, what, await our adoption as sons. And I thought about my picture. Why did, I, why did I stand outside that Christian bookstore in Bud Lake? Every night I drive home, I just walk by and look at it. Because I was a father. And I had plans and hopes and dreams for my son and his future. There's a great line in O Holy Night. It says this. Long lay the world in sin and error pine until he appeared and the soul felt its worth. We have hope because we are sons and daughters of the Most High God. If you think I had plans and hopes and dreams for my son, you should see what he has for you. May you this Christmas... Be a people of hope. Not wishful thinkers or cockeyed optimists. May you begin to dream again. To pick up some God-focused goals and go after them hard. May you believe that it's not all up to you. That you don't have to have all the power. But may you believe that he does. I pray that you understand that there is not only one way, there is not only one path, there is not only one, one man or one woman or, or one job. And I pray that you chase your God-given dreams and that you never, ever, ever give up. Because you are sons and daughters of the Most High God. This season, may your soul feel its worth. Because that is the story of hope. And that is the story of Christmas.